Hey Diversion, I uh, just want to say happy Father's Day to every father, uh, whether that be in the physical sense of the word or the spiritual and relational sense of the word. Uh, I just want to say happy Father's Day and uh, most of you will know uh, that I have four kids, four biological kids at least. Uh, Jolie, uh, who's my eldest, and Zai, and uh, Aisha, and Zoe, and you know, I, I love being a dad. Uh, my entire life, I've loved the idea of being a dad. I've generally loved the journey of being a father, but not just to my spiritual, or rather to my natural children, but also to those that in one sense or another are spiritual children. I love to sit back and I watch from a distance with a great sense of pride as People wrestle with life and leadership, with career and relationships, with church and community and how they can honour God in all these things. I feel a great deal of angst when I watch people walk away from Christ or make decisions that I believe are not what God has for them. You know, the life of a father, the life of a parent, the perspective and the uh, motivation of a good father is for his children. You know, and that's the reality of God as father as well. You know, all too often we think about the father heart of God and we, we think about the father heart of God just in protection and comfort. We think about the father heart of God and we, we think about him protecting us, but we often forget that the, it is the father heart of God that sends us. It is the Father heart of God that sent Jesus that we might know who the Father is. It is the Father heart of God that is expressed in the shepherd going after the one and leaving the 99 behind. It's the Father heart of God that has been expressed and in Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of the wrath of God for our sins. He sent of himself that we might come to him forgiven and restored, not just people who would do better, but people who would be made new, who would be made alive. The old has passed and the new has come. Paul, if you want to come with me, I want to dive in uh, today. I know you're likely watching from all sorts of places, maybe on your phone or on your computer, or maybe you're together with family. Uh, I want you to turn with me just briefly to 1 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 14, and then we're going to skip over to Acts 17. And if you've hung around me for long, you'll know that Acts 17 is one of my favorite passages. But this day, I want to actually draw us to the Father heart of God in all of this and how the Father heart of God leads us to lives of compassion, of declaration, of demonstration, uh, and of affirmation. And it says this. Now, I want you to, by the way, note some interesting things. I want you to look for a couple of things in the text. I want you to be expecting the Father heart of God as expressed through Paul in this moment. I want you to look for some echoes or some parallels. And it says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear Children, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Uh, in at least the Christian phase of his life, he is a single man. 
without children in the natural, yet he speaks of the church. And yet he will soon speak of Timothy himself as being his son. So when I talk about the father heart of God, or when I talk about you having a, the father's heart, I'm not necessarily just talking about the physical, even though the physical is a blessing, but rather I'm talking about taking on the motivations and the character of God and outliving them to inspire and to equip uh, other people. It says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, pause there for a second. I've talked about this before, but the word here in the Greek is pedagogue. Even if you had 10,000 pedagogues, and a pedagogue is a person who can, uh, in this context, would raise a child till around about the age of 12. Even if you had 10,000 of these, 10,000 teachers that you've gathered up for yourself, they can't take you the whole way. And we know this because Paul continues and he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, pause there for a second. All too often, people blame the lack of fathers on the people around them. But that's not what Paul does here. He lays the responsibility, at least in part, not at the laps of the father, but at the laps of the sons. But he starts with this, even if you had 10,000 guardians or teachers or those that can bring you a certain level in your faith, in your journey, you need a father. You need a father. That's what's coming here. It's important to actually talk about this because I actually believe, particularly in the modern context, particularly when we're plugged into our phones and plugged into our computers and subscribing to this and seeing a tweet from this person and following that person's Instagram and listening to this church's or that church's music, that we often gather up for ourselves teachers who tickle our ears. Now, I don't even mean, by the way, that all their teaching is wrong, but merely the fact is none of these people can be true fathers to you. None of these people have the opportunity to walk beside you. None of these people have the opportunity to even have conflict with you. None of these people know you. You, you might have 10,000 guardians, and can I tell you, they'll bring you some benefit. But discovering the father, father heart of God is also discovered in the father heart that God has put on other people's lives. Because they help lead us, and also they send us. And so it continues uh, and says this, You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. And note this, the Apostle Paul is saying they do have a father. It's him. He became their father through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through them coming into Christ. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, I've talked about this before. I'll just shoot this down back quickly. People often ask what discipleship is. And I love the three eyes that are given by Mike Breen. Discipleship is information. It's, it's certainly receiving the word. 
and teachers can bring this to you, but it's also imitation. It's having lives to aspire to and to replicate and to, to follow. But thirdly and ultimately, and this comes in maturity, it's to innovate. It's to take the, the truth of the word of God and it's to take the models that we've been given and to follow what God has called us to, to innovate, to go places that other people have never been, to reach people that have not been reached before. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, now note this, for this reason I've sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. The father heart of Paul, who is imitating the father heart of God, leads him to send Timothy. But why does he send Timothy? He will remind you of my way in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. I want you to get this as your foundation. Because you have a choice as to whether you have a spiritual father. You have a choice as to whether you follow people that are like spiritual mothers in your life. Yes, can I tell you, I think sometimes there's a lack of spiritual fathers and mothers, but not actually because there's a lack, but because we often rather them stay teachers who we can keep at a distance and be inspired by, rather than them be fathers and mothers who come close to us and who sometimes correct us and direct us and even discipline us, because that's what a good father or mother does. God disciplines his children because he loves them, and discipline, and correction, and redirection, and affirmation, and, and love, and teaching, and modeling is all part of following spiritual mothers and fathers. But it's important to note this, there's a scent, there's a scent motive in the, in the text here. And this is why I want us to turn today as well to Acts chapter 17. And uh, Acts chapter 17 is often laid down as one of the primary models of evangelism. One of the, the great cross-cultural platforms that we can learn from. And it's, it's important as we do this that we understand that the Apostle Paul is always seeking to be a father to the fatherless. In the same way that God is a father to the fatherless. The Apostle Paul even echoes, and I want you to note this, that in the same way that the Father sent the Son, that we might see a reflection of the Father, that the Apostle Paul in actual fact sends his son, Timothy, that we might get an idea, or rather in the context of 1 Corinthians, that they may get a clearer idea of Paul and what he teaches. Now, of course, Paul is not God, and Paul never says that. Paul is a man of humility. But the whole point in all of this is to continually point back to the Father heart of God, to point back to the Father's heart, which sent the Son that we might know Him. You know, it's often interesting that when we speak of the Apostle Paul or the Apostles, we often think of their teaching posture. People appeal to Romans quite often, nearly like it's a systematic theological defense of Protestant theology against the Roman Catholic Church in the, the medieval or, you know, the Protestant Reformation period, but it's nothing of the sort. It's a pastoral epistle, epistle and it's undergirded by good theology. 
But if we don't get this in place, that Paul is writing that they might become like Christ, that they might know Christ, that they might understand their position in Christ, then we're going to turn it into something it's not called to be and it's not supposed to be. You know, it's interesting that there are some things we feel motivated to do simply because we feel ought. We have learnt we should. Given time, we sometimes even spiritualize either our ignorance or our own hard-heartedness by saying, hey, I just don't feel called to. But we can only say these things when we don't have fathers and mothers in our life that pull us up. We need to catch the Father's heart. And I want to come back to to Acts 17. And in Acts 17, I want you to look for compassion. I want you to look for affirmation, for declaration and demonstration. Compassion, affirmation, declaration, uh, demonstration. Because in these things we see the Father's heart and it's in these things that we get to express the Father's heart to a lost and a lonely and unreached and an often unloved world. So come with me to to Acts chapter 17 and we're in verse 16. And uh, I'm a broken record at times. I feel I get to be a broken record these days. I don't have to speak or teach every week, so I get to jump on my hobby horses. And one of my hobby horses, of course, is bringing the nature of the Father and the sentness that comes in Christ and the sender who is the Father into our lives that we might outwork the same thing because we are sent by the Spirit. So it says this, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the idol, uh, the city rather, was full of idols. He's moved with compassion and I would hope that when you look at the world, you You are moved with compassion. You are moved because the world is living in a place of deception. You are moved because the world is giving itself and laying its life down for those things which actually do not give life. He's moved because he's distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what does he do? Now I want you to pause here. Depending on your your gift mix or your perspective or your background, some people would be like, so Paul went to the high places and he cast out the demons of the city and broke the bondages. Can I tell you, no, that's not what happens. Yes, can I tell you, there are principalities and powers. There are demonic uh, powers in play, but Paul goes straight to the heart of God for people and he goes straight to the people. Because he's already walking in the power of the Spirit. Because he's a sent one. Because he knows the Father's heart for him. And it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked him, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus 
and the resurrection. Of course, implied within the resurrection is his death. And the good news about Jesus is that Jesus is the propitiation. He is the place of mercy. He is a place where the wrath of God is uh, satisfied. He is the, the declaration of victory over death and, and unrighteousness. In Jesus, we find freedom. And I want to pause there for a second because we can be tempted to live in fear of the wrong things, but also place our faith in the wrong things. We can make our declaration of faith political positions or social positions or, uh, I don't know, personality-driven ideas. And can I tell you, I struggle with the same thing. Sometimes I see things and I, I my mind is blown or distressed and I, I move to natural answers. But Paul moves to the ultimate answer that Jesus and his death and his resurrection is the answer to the, the idolatry and the fear and the brokenness and the sinfulness in our world. There are other things that might help for a moment, but only one, thing's, one thing helps for eternal life. Come with me, verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, and they, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I've always said, I always feel like I'm talking about Canberra when I start to, to read parts of this, and I feel like, uh, part of me would love to be in this environment, but I think I could also get caught up in talking about the ideas rather than talking about Jesus. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the area of Pegasus and said, and I love this process that Paul goes through, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And this is not a slanderous concept here. This is an affirmation of them. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I want to proclaim to you. Now, here is proclamation. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives any, everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so. Now, I want you to grab this for a moment because... <sighs> God is orchestrating in many macro senses the historical uh, trajectory we are going. But in doing so, his purpose is so that, and hear this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. The Apostle Paul in this context is talking to these people and saying, God is orchestrating all of this that you might have an opportunity to know him. Because can I tell you, even though you don't know him in this moment, God is close to you. 
you know, maybe you're watching today and you're like, what is this guy up to? What is he saying? If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. God is already close to you. God has called you. God wants to set you apart. But the way he does this is through Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect one. Jesus, in dying and rising for us, defeats the greatest enemy of humanity, death itself. And he makes a spectacle of death in rising again. He takes the punishment for our sins, because we've all sinned. And the, the scriptures tell us clearly that the wages of sin is death. Jesus dies on our behalf. He pays the price. And today, God is near you, and he's calling you. And so I would, I would encourage you, I would beseech you to use an old school word. I would plead with you. Turn to Jesus. Confess him as Lord of your life. That he's the only one worthy of following. That he died and that he rose again on your behalf. And can I tell you, you become a son or a daughter of the living God. And I want you to come with me a little bit further because this matters. It says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him uh, and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28 continues, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, what you catch is, therefore, since we, all of humanity, are his offspring. I think it's important to pause here because our motivation to declare and demonstrate the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is anchored in the very heart of God as a father because we are his offspring. And it's important to remember that we, humanity, are God's offspring. We are God's children together creationally. Meaning because God is the designer, God is the creator, you and I, in terms of just breathing and living, are his children creationally, but sin has separated us relationally. And so though he is broadly your father and my father, it is only through Jesus that we can know be a true son or true daughter in relationship with God as father. And so it continues on and says, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this demonstration. To, by, uh, to everyone by raising him from the dead. And, and I, I want to pause there for a second. I want you to come back to the, the four things I want you to look for in the text. And the, the first is, if we are driven and we know the Father heart of God, we will be moved by compassion. When Paul views the city and he views what they're into and what they're pursuing, he is distressed. Why is he distressed? 
because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are like children without a father. They are following death, thinking they are jumping in the well of life, but they're about to drown in it. Our, our lives should be marked by compassion because God had compassion on, our, on us first. But note that this observation of lostness is not judgmental. Uh, it's not judgmentalism. This observation in our world of lostness is actually compassion. It doesn't say I'm better than you. It actually says that you are called to more than where you are because God loves you, because Jesus has died for you, and there is true abundant life to be found in Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a motivation full of compassion. But what does Paul do? He moves immediately to speaking truth. He goes to the marketplace and he speaks with the Epicureans and the Stoics. And he speaks with, it says, anyone who he could. And he declares what? Jesus and his resurrection. The answer for Australia, the answer for wherever you are right now is not political. Sure, there are political systems that we are able to cooperate with and we're able to use or to outwork to help people in our society. But at the end of the day, people are not restored to relationship with God through political policy. People are not restored into relationship with God through economics or social strata, you know, equalization or whatever it might be. They're restored to relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus and his death and his resurrection. But I want you to note that Paul ebbs and flows in his conversation and Paul uses affirmation incredibly. See, we're tempted to think that affirmation of a person means affirmation of their activity or affirmation of their belief or affirmation of what they believe about themselves. But you don't see this in Scripture and you certainly don't see it with Jesus. Paul comes in and he affirms what he can. He affirms that they are religious. Hey, that this is amazing. You've got a heart for God. Unfortunately, you're reaching out to a God you don't even know. You're ignorant of him. He, he affirms them in so many ways, but then brings them back to the truth. He even affirms the culture in uh, quoting their own poets. Your own poets say, we are his offspring but in that affirmation, his only goal is to bring them back to Jesus, to tell them that there is a judgment, a true judgment coming. And the one who will judge both the living and the dead is also the one who has provided the way of salvation. He affirms the people of people, uh, he affirms the people rather, in affirming their creational uh, sonship or daughtership. But then he turns to them and says, but you're, you're separated from God. You sit in the place of judgment. You may be a son or daughter, and I'm stretching this a bit in terms of the immediate context, but we see this wider. You might be creationally a son of God, a daughter of God, but relationally, you don't know him. You're ignorant of him. And lastly, and it's important that we note that when we look at the New Testament, we see a demonstration of the power of God in many circumstances of healing, of the casting out of demons, of the miraculous, of the spiritual gifts, all of which point to Jesus. 
But in this moment, he gets to the, the primary demonstration of the fatherhood of God. And that is that God has proved all of this. It says this, remember, in the end of verse 31. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're not a father or even a mother in the natural sense. Maybe you're the sort of person that wants to know the father heart of God. And I want to affirm that. If you're not a believer and you're like sitting at the edge, can I encourage you just jump in? You, you can trust the father. Maybe you're a believer, but you've been away in a sense from an understanding of the Father heart of God. And I would say dive deep into it. But be ready that when you discover the Father heart of God and you grasp it in your own heart, then as you become a father or a mother in the faith, as you walk, you will become a sent one that simply sees everywhere around you the lostness of people, sheep without a shepherd. We have an opportunity in understanding the Father heart of God to outwork that in being fathers and mothers in the faith. And so can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you as a father in the natural? Can I encourage you as a father, uh, I guess you could say in relationship, spiritual and otherwise, that take up this challenge, take up the, the courage to, to think of others more than you think of yourself and to outwork the father heart of God in compassion, in affirmation, in declaration of his death and his resurrection and his lordship, and in demonstration. Demonstration ultimately primarily through these resurrection, but demonstration through the overcoming of natural brokenness and healing and the miraculous and the casting out of things that are beyond human capacity. Um, take a journey into the Father heart of God. And you'll take a journey that will surprise you and take you places you did not expect. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you that you're good. And I thank you that you're our Father. And since the very first moments of Scripture, as Adam and Eve try to cover themselves due to their sin, due to their shame, that your heart for them was not one primarily and firstly of judge, but of father. When you cry out, where are you? Your heart has always been the restoration of relationship, that people would come back into relationship with you, that you would cover their shame, that you would forgive their sin and bring them to yourself, adopted as sons and daughters, heirs of the Most High God, in your precious, precious name. Amen. 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 As always, I just want to say thank you guys. Um, can I encourage you, just keep on plugging ahead. Maybe you get have been gripped by fear in the present circumstances globally or because of work or relationships or whatever it might be. Know that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God and you can stiffen in a sense your back and have confidence in that reality. We love you and most importantly, God loves you so much. Amen.